It still stresses me out. I've watched it a few times. Hey, uh, thank you. West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, if we haven't gotten to meet because I've seen a few new faces, my name is Nathan Harrison. I am the starting center for the future Upward Sports basketball team here at the church. Yes. The second graders, not the third graders. Second grade, all right? Still working on my contract. Hey, um, this morning I'm actually very excited to bring up, bring up somebody that um, you've, you've gotten to hear before, but... His uh, measure in terms of a friend, as a leader, in commitment, dedication to this church is measured in years. And uh, so he's one of our elders, Brian Burns. Would you welcome Brian Burns up here as we hear from him? Thanks, Nathan. Well, thank you. I am glad to be up here. And Nathan, very kind words. It's very different than what I just got from Bob Fugler before I came up who leaned over and said, don't screw this up. So to Bob, I say no promises. Um, but let's go ahead and start in a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this day. I pray I can get out of the way here right now, that your words can be spoken, that you can encourage us, and that we can walk out of here with a challenge to live for you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the middle of summer, which means it's the time for travel and vacations for, for many of us, and we are no exception. As a matter of fact, about a month and a half ago, when the youth went on their trip to Seattle and Oregon, uh, my, our two oldest kids, Riley and Ava, went on that trip. And so my wife, Courtney, and I decided to take our four-year-old, Ezekiel, on a trip of our own. We packed up and headed off to Disneyland. And now, Disneyland with a four-year-old can be a stressful experience. However, by far, the most stressful part of the entire trip was our flight out of Denver. Now, I'm not here today to disparage any particular airline, Spirit Airlines, but we did not have the greatest experience. So it started off great. We, all, we got uh, you know, to the airport and through security in like record time. By the time we got to the terminal, we actually had an hour and 45 minutes until our flight flew. It took off. So we decided we would uh, go to one of those sit-down restaurants there and have a good lunch. So that's what we did. And after lunch, we headed off to our gate. And when we got to our gate, we found out that our gate had changed. No big deal. We'll figure out where the new gate is. So we did that, and then we headed off to the new gate. By the time we got to our new gate, we still had about 45 minutes until our flight was supposed to leave. Now, the new gate was at the very end of a terminal. If you've ever flown out of there, it's kind of like a, a cul-de-sac, like a semicircle at the end, you know, and there's gates going all the way around. And so there's just people everywhere. So I said, Courtney, let's just find a seat, and then we'll figure out which gate is ours and kind of go from there. So we found some seats, and I started looking around, and I found the door for our gate. But I was surprised to see there was no one lined up. There was someone there um, taking tickets or whatever, but she was just working on her computer, but there was no one lined up and there was no one boarding. And by that point, at 40 minutes, as you guys know, when you fly, usually there's, they're boarding the plane. And so I told Courtney, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go just check with this lady and see what's, what's going on. And so I walked over to her. Now, Georgia, you can go ahead and put up this picture. For those of you who have seen Meet the Parents, my experience talking to this lady, she was much like this lady. And if you haven't seen it, it's no big deal. But I just give, give you a reference here. So I walked up to her and I said, um, excuse me, ma'am. I was just curious, it looks like our flight's going to leave in like 40 minutes. Do you know when we're, you know, we're going to start boarding? And she looked at me and she said, well, um, actually, this flight got moved up 30 minutes, and so I'm pretty much done boarding. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, 
I've never heard of a flight moving up. Since I've been to the airport, you've changed gates and moved the time? And so she could see I was surprised, so she went on the defensive. And she said, well, sir, I have made several announcements over the intercom about this. And I said, well, I wasn't here, so I did not hear them. I said, well, here's our tickets. Can we go ahead and board? And at that point, I called over to uh, Courtney and Ezekiel and told them to come join me. While she's holding my tickets, she reached back and she closed the gate door. And then she looked back at me, she goes, I'm sorry, sir, I've, the, the, gate's been, the door's been closed, and once it's closed, we can't open it back up. You're not going to be able to get on this flight. And I just looked at her, and I said, but, but you closed the door while you were holding my tickets as we were talking. And she said, I'm sorry, and started, ta- started typing again. She goes, um, I can look for another flight later, later on today or maybe tomorrow. Would that work for you? Still happy as can be. And I said, no, 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 that's not going to work at all for me. I said, our, our luggage is on. We're trying to get, we got tickets to Disney. We got to get on this flight. I said, you know what? Can I just talk to a manager? At that point, she kind of huffed and walked over to another desk, gave our tickets to someone else. And about a minute later, she came back. And she didn't acknowledge me. She didn't talk to me. She didn't look at me. She started typing. She got back on her intercom and she called up three names. Three people came up to, to where she's at. I kid you not, she opened the gate, she let them in, and then she closed it again. And I'm standing here. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, the magic gate door opened. I said, and you're not letting us in? I said, did you just give our tickets away to standby passengers? And she goes, those aren't your tickets, sir. And so she could, this other lady could see it was escalating, so immediately she calls this lady back over. She comes back with our tickets, kind of throws them at us, and she goes, fine, you can go on. So we got on the flight. You're thinking it's over, it's not. So we get on the flight. And I had paid extra for us to sit in the front of the plane, where you get some extra leg room, some amenities, whatever. I, I paid extra to sit up there. And when we got to our, our row... It just so happened there was a family of three already sitting there and looking very comfortable, mind you. And so I looked at him and I said, I, I think you're in our seats. And the guy that was sitting there said, listen, the flight attendants put us here. They told us this is where we're supposed to sit. And I'm like, okay. And at that point, two flight attendants came over and they asked for our tickets. We, I gave them our tickets. And she goes, ah, the two of them were talking. They're like, we're so sorry. Um, it, we didn't think you were making the plane, so the flight, so we actually gave your seats away, and they're all settled, and their luggage, you know, it's just, they're already there. Um, we do have three seats in the back. Would that be okay for you? At this point, I snapped. I was done. And I was getting ready to unload on these two ladies and let them know, no, it's not okay, and these people need to get up and get to the back of the plane, and you guys need to learn how to run an airline. It was coming. My words were ready to come out. I took a deep breath, but before I could talk, Courtney spoke up and said, you know what, we're so thankful to make it on this flight that we're fine going to the back. Which I looked at her and added her to my list. No, there's no clapping. (laughs) She was on my list at this point. But the flight attendants were so relieved by this that before we could say anything, they ushered us quickly to the back of the plane where we sat down and I stewed. Now, I have to say, going into this vacation, I was on empty. And I frequently do this, where I work crazy hours leading up to a vacation, so I don't have to think about work whenever I leave. But the problem is, in doing this, 
I run my, myself down so much I'm at a breaking point when the vacation actually comes. It takes nothing to set me off. On a normal day, this circumstance, it would have frustrated me. On that day, I wanted all of them arrested, including the people sitting in my seat. <laughs> and if Courtney wouldn't have spoken first, I'm not sure what would have come out of my mouth, but someone could have been arrested. <laughs> you can imagine it would have been me. And I think most of you can relate with that. When we're on empty, when we're at that breaking point, one of the first areas that shows our wariness is our tongues, our words. That's where you see it first. See, I think part of it is because we don't put much weight to our words. We live in a society that has downplayed the importance of words. We're taught at an early age that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words don't hurt us. Words don't hurt. And we hear sayings like being filled with hot air or saying less talking, more doing, or talk is cheap. And I understand why we do these things, why we teach these things, and why we were taught these things. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want our kids to be hurt by careless words. It's too easy to be hurt by someone else's words. So we teach them, and we're taught that words don't matter. But there's an unintended consequence to that. Not only are we taught that other people's words don't matter, but what it teaches us is that our words don't matter. We become reckless with our words. We end up saying things because we don't think it really matters. And if you turn to Scripture, we see that it's a very different perspective in regards to words. As a matter of fact, I picked a couple here. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. James 3.6 says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Yikes! I don't think what we've been taught is right. Our words really do matter. And they matter a lot. So often we think the words that we say or even that we text or that we email or that we post, we think that those words just are outputs. They just go out from us. No big deal. Just leave it from there. But it's not true. What we're going to look at today is that actually our words are something that can be used to fill us up instead of emptying us out. Psalms 34, and I think we all want full lives, right? Psalms 34, 12 says it this way. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? And I think we could rework those words to interpret it to say, does anyone want a life that is full? Today, we're going to look at three ways that we can use our words to refuel and live out more full lives. The first way we're going to look at that we need to use to refuel is to use our tongues to practice restraint. If you turn your Bibles to me to Psalms 34, it will be up on the screens as well, and I'm going to start right where we just read. We're going to read that same verse again, but we'll carry on from there. It says, does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Now, I wanted to start here because this is the most commonly 
uh, recited verses. These verses are the most commonly recited when you look at Psalms 34. As a matter of fact, we see these exact words later, about 100 years later, when, um, in 1 Peter 3.10. He writes the same thing in his letter. And what David and later Peter are writing here, are they're telling us, is that to live a full life, the secret to a full life has a lot to do with the words that we use with one another, so choose them carefully. Choose them carefully. Now, I am the youngest, or I'm the youngest of four kids. I have two older brothers and an older sister. And so at an early age, I knew I wasn't going to win physically. So I turned my attention, attention on getting better with my words. Because I knew I couldn't, like, punch and hurt as well as they could hurt me. And so I thought, I can make my words hurt even more. And I got pretty good at it. But the problem was that sharp tongue that had developed didn't just stay with my siblings. It followed me throughout my life. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I had an off period. And so I went down to the commons, and there was two girls sitting at a table that I knew. And so I went and sat across from them and started talking. A few minutes later, a group of upperclassmen walked in, some juniors and seniors. And the leader of their group, his name was Aaron. He had a class with me. Now, we weren't friends in any way, but we knew who each other were. Now, he probably saw me talking to these girls and wanted to impress them. So he walks over with his group of friends over to the table where we're sitting, and he says, hey, Burns, what are you doing? I said, well, just sitting here talking. He's like, what are you doing out of class? I said, well, I have an off period. I'm just hanging out. And he's like, well, what you should be doing is coming to the the gym with us. We're about ready to get a workout. You could use it. I wasn't quite the the physical creature I am here today, but (laughs) I said, you know what? I'm okay. No, I'm going to go ahead and stay here. Thanks anyways, you know. And he carried on. He's like, well, when are you going to get in the weight room, man? Your arms could use it. Don't you want to look like us at some point? At this point, I'm really irritated. Once again, they were much older and bigger than me. I wasn't going to be able to strike out physically, but I knew I could say something that maybe would get under their skin. There was a rumor going around the school that no one would say out loud that Aaron was using steroids. He was on steroids. And so I looked up at him and I said, well, maybe if I start using steroids, I can look like you. And I looked over at the girl sitting sitting across me and kind of smiled like, you like that one? (laughs) They just looked at me with horrified looks on their faces. Now, Aaron did not respond verbally. (laughs) He punched me in the face. And I jumped up, shocked, and his friends all grabbed me and held me, which probably saved me from a greater beating. But for the rest of that week, I walked around with a big, fat, black eye. And I think back to that situation, I wonder if I chose to practice restraint, there are so many things I could have said that would diffuse that situation. But I chose to incite. I was offended, I was frustrated, I was hurt, and I wanted to strike back with my words. I chose my tongue to speak evil. I didn't know if Aaron was using steroids. It didn't even matter to me. All that mattered was I knew it would strike a chord with them. I didn't expect to get punched in the face, but maybe I should have. But I didn't expect that, but I expected that it would hit a nerve. And that happens so frequently in our interactions with people. It's not always verbally, right? We don't always, we're not always silly enough to say something that maybe will get us hurt, but sometimes we write things. Sometimes we send that email that we shouldn't send. Sometimes we send that text. Maybe we make that post because we're hurt and we want to strike back. 
We want to say something that's going to hurt. We don't even care if it's true. We just want it to strike a nerve. And David is telling us here, don't use your tongue. Don't use your words in that way. Even when you're hurt, show some restraint. Practice restraint. We've all heard the saying that if you can't say something nice, don't say something at all. It's wise counsel. It's hard to do, right? But if we want to be refueled with our words, if we want to have lives that are full, we have to learn how to practice restraint with our words. But that's not all of it. We can't just sit around in silence all the time, right? There's another part to it. And that is that we need to use our tongue to pursue peace. As we continue on in Psalm 34 and verse 14, it says, Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. See, David is quick to follow up that verse about holding our tongues, keeping our tongues from speaking evil, having that restraint. He follows that up by basically saying, it's not enough to just not say something mean. It's about what we do say, because we all talk a lot. As a matter of fact, according to a study published in Scientific American, um, it says that on average, we all speak about 16,000 words per day. Some people speak more, some people speak less. But the interesting part about that is that it says that of those 16,000 words, 80% of our words are shared with a relatively few number of people, usually not more than five. So if you're using that math, 13,000 of the 16,000 words that we use in a day are reserved for those people, that handful of people that we're closest with, probably our family and our closest friends. So I wonder, how are we choosing to use the words to those closest to us? Peter, or I'm sorry, uh, David uh, mentions here that we are to search for peace, which makes sense. When we establish friendships, when we establish relationships, we look for peace. We say nice things to each other. Otherwise, the relationship will never, will never go anywhere. It will never survive. It will never blossom. We say and do nice things for each other when we first start a relationship. But it's the second part of that verse that really struck me. It says, and work to maintain it. How often do we get in a relationship? Let's say our marriages, for instance, or long-term friendships. And it starts off great. The newlywed time is awesome, right? We say such nice things to each other. We do such nice things for each other. But as the years roll on, all of a sudden we look back, we're not saying the same things to one another. And you could chalk it up to saying, well, but you get to know each other. And you don't have to say all those same things. That's part of it. But is part of it that we stop working to maintain it? I think that is part of it. See, Peace is not achieved and then we're done. It's constant work. And much of the work is in our words. Think about those 13,000 words, give or take, that we use on those people closest to us. Let's choose those words to encourage and build each other up. Now, I'm looking at myself in the mirror because I'm not great at this, but that's what we're called to do. And, and what David says, when we do that, when we're, we're searching out and then maintaining that peace continually, we're rewarded with peaceful relationships. And in turn, it helps fill us up by our words. But there's a final part 
to being refueled with our words. And it's the part that's the most important, the most impactful, and unfortunately the most neglected most of the time. And that is using our tongues to praise God first. See, before David wrote the words about practicing restraint or pursuing peace, let's see how this psalm begins. In verse 1, it says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. Now, when David wrote Psalm 34, he was still running for his life from King Saul. And if you don't know the background story of this, see, David was this loyal servant of King Saul. He did everything that Saul asked him to do, and he did it so well that Saul got jealous of him and felt like God favored David. And so it didn't matter that his successes and all these things that David did were actually benefiting King Saul's kingdom, he was, and that, that, that David loved Saul. It didn't matter. He was blinded by his jealousy, and so he hated David, and he was intent on killing him. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were doing everything you were supposed to do in your life. You were following God's commands. You were, you were right where you feel like God was calling you to be, and yet you lose your home, you lose your job, you lose your family, you lose your friends, you even lose your freedom. How would you respond I lost my seats on a plane and came unhinged. David loses everything, and his first words out of his mouth are a praise to God. As a matter of fact, the majority of this psalm, Psalm 34, the majority of it is David praising God. And it's not a one-off. As you go through the psalms, you'll find that most of the time, or a lot of the time, David uses the, the opportunity to just praise God with his words. That's what he spends his time doing. See, David was an incredibly emotional man. It doesn't take you long looking through Scripture to figure that out. There is no way he was going to be able to control what he said to other people, control his tongue with what he said to other people. He was just too emotional guy. But that wasn't his focus. That's not what he focused on. What he focused on was using his words to praise God first. And it's true with us as well. If our focus is just on trying to control what we say to others, not to say this and to say this and to think about this and think, ultimately we're going to fail. We got to get at the source of our words. Think about it like this. If you had a big pot of boiling water and you wanted that water to stop boiling, you could take some ice cubes and you could throw it in the pot and it would stop boiling. As long as you put enough ice cubes in there, it would stop boiling, right? But if the fire is still going, the heat, the source of the heat is still on, what's going to happen? The ice cubes will melt and eventually it will start boiling again. If you really want the water to stop boiling permanently, you have to stop the source of heat. You have to put the fire out. Well, the source of heat for our words is our heart. Our words are just an overflow of our heart. We have to get to the source in order to make it happen. 
I think so often we say something or we type something or we post something, we do something that we regret and we end up beating ourselves up and say, okay, from now on, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm going to do it over here. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to start saying it this way. It's like throwing ice cubes into a boiling pot of water. Eventually, you're going to fail. We have to get at the source of the heat. See, David did something totally different. Instead of letting his words be a reaction to his frustrating, lonely, unfair circumstance, he used his words to praise God first. And then God allowed him to respond to his frustrating, unfair circumstances differently. It's totally backwards for how we usually, how we usually look at things. He did it totally different. Uh, Georgia, bring up those words again uh, from David. Psalms 34, 1 through 3. David isn't saying these things as an attempt to fill up God. God's the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He doesn't need our words. We can't and don't fill him up. But however, when we praise him, when we recognize his importance in our lives, when we use our words to honor and glorify him, the craziest thing happens. We are filled up. We're the ones that end up getting filled up, and we can respond to circumstances differently. David knew an important truth, and it's this. The words we use vertically directly affect how we respond horizontally. The words we use vertically directly affect how we respond horizontally. And you know what? Sometime later, David had his opportunity to get back at Saul. He was hiding in a cave, still hiding for, uh, running for his life. And Saul walks into this cave, doesn't know David's there, and Saul's all alone. This is the perfect opportunity for David to respond how most people would respond, that is to get back at Saul, to kill Saul, to get him out of the way, get his life back to normal. But David didn't do that. David snuck up without Saul seeing him, and he cut off a piece of his, his robe. And then when Saul left and got a little ways away from the cave, David came out, and he held up the piece of clothing, and he said, and he called out to Saul, and he said, look, King Saul, I had the opportunity to get you. I had the opportunity to get back at you, but I would never do that because you are the Lord's anointed, and I would never harm you. And here is... Uh, Saul's response. If you, we'll have it up on the screen here. It's 1 Samuel 24, 17. Saul says, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. David's heart was so filled from his praise of God that he was able to respond in an unexpected, unearthly, extraordinary way. And it made him an impact. It made a huge impact on Saul. And it can happen in our lives as well. When we use our, our words to praise and honor God, 
first, He will help us to respond in an unexpected, unearthly, and extraordinary way. So I was sitting in the back of that plane, still stewing, so angry. And Courtney could see I was angry. And so she reached over and she grabbed my hand, kind of wanted to pull it away a little bit, you know, and she said, listen, thank you so much for planning this vacation. She goes, I can't wait to spend this time with you and our sweet boy. And so immediately, my heart softens, and I realize I'm being a jerk. I'm acting not how I really want to. And as the flight went on, the flight crew began to serve their, their drinks and their snack service. And so they made it, when they made it all the way back to our seats, they stopped. I still haven't let it all go. Uh, I'm working on it, though. They got to our row, and they, they actually stopped their cart and walked around and leaned over to our row, and they said, hey, we just want to thank you so much for how you responded there, how you acted in, that, in the case of this situation. We don't see that response very often. See, they were genuinely appreciative that we didn't end up yelling at them, that we didn't scream at them, that we didn't make those people move to the back. You know exactly how I was going to respond. But Courtney, unlike me, came to the airport with her heart filled. See, she, was, she had gone to God with, with thanksgiving for praise that we're even able to go on this trip. And so God filled her heart. And with that, she was able to respond to an unfair, frustrating experience in an unexpected, unearthly, and extraordinary way. See, the words that we use vertically directly affect how we respond horizontally. So this week, may we learn to practice restraint with our tongues. If you get offended, if someone says something or does something that, that hurts you, take a moment and try not to respond with untruthful, hurtful words in whatever form that looks like. May we also pursue peace. Let's think about the majority of our words and those closest to us and choose those words to uplift and encourage one another. And most importantly, may we use our words first to praise God. Spend five minutes every morning this week just thanking God for who He is, praising Him, and realizing that, that He is so much greater than whatever circumstance we may be in. And see how He changes the source of our words. And if we do that, I am, I am confident that we can walk away refueled and have lives that are full, and we can sit back and see the impact that it can make on this world. I'm going to go ahead and close this word of prayer, but actually the praise team, why don't you guys come up and, and have the last song here. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time to get together. We know that our words are so often misunderstood, and we, we think that they're just output from us. But what we realize is that we need to start with praising you, and that you can change the source of our words. We pray that we can use our words to uplift and encourage one another. We're so grateful for all the blessings that you've given in our lives, but mostly just for being who you are. Help us to use our words to lift you up and in turn be filled up by your love. Thank you so much for this opportunity today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.